All right, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jerry. It's great to be here with you. just want to make a quick comment here about our, uh, about our lighting setup. Uh, maybe some of you are visiting here. You recognize this is not our church, right? We rent out this school, which is such a blessing. But with that comes some unique uh, settings at times. So today, for example, we came in and uh, none of these lights um, worked at all, period. Uh, any of their normal awesome lights, we got nothing. We're restarting things, trying to call people, who knows what this is doing. Nobody knows nothing. So all we have here this morning is these, which are like the emergency lights, um, which is kind of cool. And then, uh, and then these spotlights up here, which I feel like either a televangelist of some sort or somebody in a circus, you know, which there are some similarities there, you know, so... Hopefully it won't be uh, too distracting. Uh, we got to remember for thousands of years the church met like in caves with candlelight, right? So we got kind of a cool, eerie, dark feel uh, and that maybe bothers some of you. Others of you love it. Um, but this is what we got. Unless everybody wants to just pull out their iPhones and that would be maybe, you know, hit the light on there. But anyway, we are glad to be able to worship here together and to be here, amen, together. Uh, man, thanks for coming. I know it's a holiday weekend. And feel like we need to continually invite people back. I know some people are out of town, but man, there is such a joy. Just the presence of each other in this family, in this community. So, uh, so it's awesome to have you here. Great to have our Northwest kids here as well. Uh, a couple times a year we bring them into this uh, main service to allow them to experience uh, what we do here uh, as well. So you guys are awesome. Thanks for, thanks for being a part of things. Well listen, uh, because our kids were here... And uh, just because we wanted to start things out a little bit differently, we have a little bit of a game here this morning that we're going to do together. We're like, yes! And so some of you who are listening on the podcast here, maybe you're at home uh, listening or you were on vacation trying to catch up, you're going to totally miss out on this part of the deal because it involves video and it's going to be too complicated to try and send you to the right site. So just use your imagination. But anyway, here's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to have you choose what category, one through three, uh, about what's going to happen in a certain video. And uh, you need to make a decision. You're going to be in that category. And then we'll watch the video, see who was right and not right. So, Maestro, first slide, please. There's a dude uh, riding his bicycle. You need to try and pick what is going to happen to this guy, all right? Number one, he hits a rock and falls into a ditch. It's always funny. Number two, falls and is chased by a donkey. That would be funny as well. Number three, hit by a charging antelope. I want you to pick one, two, or three. Raise your hand up in the air really, really high. Uh, make your commitment of what category you're going to be. See lots of threes. I see a few twos. I see a couple of ones. Okay, go ahead, Maestro. Let's see what we got. So, which did you choose? What's the Slow motion is always better. It's the way I was when I was in football as a linebacker. This is to show you that he was okay. We don't want anybody to think that we're laughing at somebody getting... Overly hurt. All right, how many people got that right? Raise your hand up really high. Wow, lots of the crowd. Very smart people. 
Many of you perhaps have already seen that one. This one I doubt so much. All right, one more game we're going to play. One, two, or three. What is significant about this dude? Number one, can turn his head 180 degrees. Number two, can shoot milk out of his eyes. Number three, can tie himself in a human knot. We are seeing lots of twos. We're seeing lots of threes. Twos and threes are arguing about it. We got a couple of ones back there. All right, mostly twos and threes. All right, let's see what we got. Many years ago, I started doing gymnastics, he says. That's when I noticed that my vertebrae seemed to be very flexible and that I can turn my head farther than normal. I worked at it little by little, going a little farther each time. And one day, I was able to turn my head all the way around. Despite the somewhat unsettling crunching of bones, Alexander claims to feel no pain which is more than could be said for the people sitting behind him on a bus. Okay. Make it stop. Make it stop. Woo! How many people had that one right? Raise your hand up really high. Okay. Very few of you. Oh, good heavens. I don't know if you're like me, but when I see somebody, you know, you're watching sports and like somebody twists an ankle or you're like, there's just some sort of cringing reflex like that you can't watch it. And I think we lost a few people during that video that just couldn't stand it and went running for the exit doors. But anyway, so we had a few of you choose it right. Lots of you didn't, right? Choosing categories. What smokes does this have to do with anything at all? All right, well, it does have something to do with what we're talking about loosely. And uh, the idea is we're talking about categories and how everybody here, we force you to make a decision unless you were just being a bad sport. Um, get on with it, preacher. <laughs> you know, but we made you choose something, right? And, uh, and the idea is everybody had to make a decision. You were right, you were wrong. You chose a category. Now, what we're going to be talking about here this morning Again, for some of you that are brand new, and I met several new families very first time here, which is awesome, but uh, we've been talking about since early October, the whole entire Old Testament uh, in our series called Thread, and we've been talking about the grand story of God, and today is actually our last Sunday talking about the Old Testament thread in the grand story there and then we have a few weeks where we're going to solidify talking about Jesus and how he's the one that ties everything together so he's the thread that is woven all throughout these Old Testament stories so today we're going to be talking about the cycle of sin is what it's called in some places and I prefer to call it the cycle of love but we're going to be talking about the Old Testament prophets and the judges and just giving you a little bit of an overview because they were always seemingly in one of four categories and we're going to take a look at that history and we're going to try and understand in our own life man you know what we are not so different all of us here even this morning are in one of those four categories in this cycle of our relationship with God so I invite you to turn in your copy of scriptures to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, that's where we're going to be spending the vast majority of our time. We have one or two more passages that we will show you on the screen. But Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be parked if you're following along. And if you're taking notes, just draw a giant circle because we're going to be talking about this cycle of love. 
the cycle of love. Sounds almost like the circle of love, which sounds like a Disney song, right? Okay, Jeremiah chapter 2. There's a connection here, uh, even though this is written, you know, thousands of years ago. There's a connection between us and what's going on here. So the very first uh, quadrant that we want to talk about is this idea up here of relationship. This idea of relationship. There was a people and they had a connectivity to God. And let's start reading in Jeremiah chapter 2 in verse 2. Here's what God is speaking through this prophet Jeremiah. Speaking to his people who he's got a relationship with. Here's what he says. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. God says this. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So the first element that we want to talk about is there was a relationship that God had with his people. And you'll notice in verse 2, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember how we used to be. And unfortunately, for how many relationships, married relationships, or even couples that have been dating for year after year after year, you remember back to those early days when you first had met and there was a different kind of, of love. You know what I'm talking about? A different feeling, a different giddiness, a different hopefulness, a different flirtation. Some of you are like, no, we've got that right now. We've been married 40, 50 years. That's awesome. But for a lot of us, that's not the way it works. I remember back when my, uh, my wife and I were dating, perhaps we were engaged. I don't quite remember when this particular instance took place, but I was in seminary and I was up there visiting her and her family in New York, um, upstate New York, and I was uh, getting up at 4.30 the next morning to go steelhead fishing by myself. That is how I connect with God and that is what I love. So anyway, so I'm setting my alarm for about 4 o'clock and I was going to be out, you know, drive about half an hour away, be on the river, uh, you know, leave by 4.30, be there 5 o'clock, whatever, so it's going to be early, annoying morning. I'm like, you know, honey, I'll be back by noon and hopefully I'll have some fish and it'll be great, but I'm looking forward to it. So next thing you know, I'm asleep and, uh, you know, uh, uh, gone in my dreams of catching steelhead and I hear a knock at the door at about 3.45 a.m. What? God, is that you? Remember we talked about Samuel and Eli and all that? Uh, so anyway, so I get up and put a shirt on and yeah, and it's Becca. She's like, hey, uh, I have something I want to show you. What? So I get out and sure enough, on the kitchen table is a massive spread of fresh eggs, bacon, homemade bread, fresh coffee. She had created this feast of a breakfast for me at 3.45 in the morning so I wouldn't go fishing on an empty stomach. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> you can go fishing on your own. And can you be, bring me lunch when you come back this time, you know? 
But we know we're talking about those early days. You're sacrificing. There's this, there's this love and you feel like nothing can stop it and everything that they do is great and you've just, you just can't wait to be with that person and serve that person. And something happens along the line where a lot of those feelings die. All right? I mean, let's just be honest. It takes hard work to keep that up. But we're not so different in our relationship. You can think about that. But God is not so different in his relationship with the people of Israel and with us. Because he says, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember back when you were first following me, it says, you would follow me in the wilderness, you know, like the people trusted God. Oh, we love you. Oh, we trust you. Absolutely, we're going to follow you. You're our God. We're your people. We love you. But then something happened. Something changed. They forgot. You'll notice it says in verse 3, Israel was holy to the Lord from God's perspective of them. They were like the first fruits. He was so proud of them. And he said, man, anybody who would mess with you guys, I would swoop down. I would rescue because we had that relationship. But somewhere between what happened there in that first quadrant down to the next one in the cycle of love, we've got something called sin. Once again, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll try and have these slides up there so you can follow along. I know you can't see these, but in the second category of the cycle that you see repeated over and over and over again, we've got sin. Sin is defined literally as missing the mark. Sin is defined as stepping outside and targeting and hitting something else that is less than God's best. And listen to these harrowing words of Jeremiah. Keep on reading here in, uh, in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went so far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless themselves? Verse 6, it says, They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us out from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, a land that none passes through, where no man dwells? The idea is God's almost like a jilted lover here, who says, What fault did they find? What did I do? I gave you nothing but goodness. And, you know, you can just hear it in, in, in the voice of the Lord where he says, they didn't say, where is the Lord? In verse 8, if you skip down, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? In other words, they're just going along, they're carrying on with life, they're satisfying their desires, they're chasing after, they had this relationship, but they allowed sin to enter in, they're following after all these idols, and nobody stopped to say, where is the Lord in all of this? None of the people stopped and said, oh, um, by the way, you think maybe we shouldn't be doing this? Where's God in all of this? And even more sobering in verse 8, none of the priests, the spiritual leaders ever even stopped to say, ah, uh, time out, where is God in all of this? And I'll tell you what, it's sobering when we think about Christian ministry and we think about church ministry and stuff like we got going on here. 
And if you're not careful, even from a leadership level, you can get into the role that says, hey, yeah, that's a cool song. Yep, I love the way that one works. Okay, good. Hey, this is a good message. Wow, how about this illustration? Or how about we do this fun thing over here? How about this cool video here? And it's kind of like we can make the production and we can give it to you without ever saying, okay, stop, time out. Where's God in any of this? Where's the Holy Spirit and where's his power? Because if it's just man in our wisdom, in our craftiness, in our manipulation of words, somehow it's going to end up utterly failing. And that's what happened here when we enter into sin. It says that they followed after worthless things. And in doing that, they became worthless themselves. Man, we, we don't want to take that out of the context. It's not that God's saying, nope, you're worthless. You're not worth anything. Rather, the idea is, you know what? You're chasing after all these idols that don't mean anything, and you are completely losing your effectiveness. You're not taking strides of value towards things of God when you're distracted by sin. So somewhere between the first step and the second step, there came a decision. Maybe it was a conscious decision. Maybe it was an unconscious decision. But somehow there came some separation there. Listen to this incredible verse. Skip down to verse 12. You talk about the seriousness that God had. Here's what God says in verse 12, Jeremiah chapter 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. And the idea is that the angels and even God himself is looking down on the people that, that they love and like, please come walk in my truth, walk in my ways. This is the way to live. But they've gone and they've chased after and they're almost like, no, watch out. Verse 13, for my people, God says, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have honed or dug out cisterns or wells for themselves broken wells that hold no water now i'll tell you what even in our own lives when we look at this idea of sin that's a pretty good meter right there god says there's two things that happen number one they they forsook me i'm the i'm the river of living water i am the everlasting well i am here to satisfy completely and when you think about this whole idea of water 70 percent of the earth is made of water and in any any ancient civilization and either to even today you know you've got all these civilizations that are centered around waters around ports around rivers that's where cities are established and certainly back then that's where they were established water represented everything it was where all the animals came to drink, and that was their food. It was where they would fish. It was uh, water for their crops, nutrients, water for them to live. It meant everything. And God's saying, I have been this for you, but you have forsaken me. And even worse, you have dug for yourselves wells. And the idea is like they're just in this dry, dirt, desert, you know, with their fingernails. And they're just digging up these wells. And it says wells that are broken. Wells that can't even hold any water. So it's like we've forsaken the one that really satisfies. And instead we're chasing after all this other stuff that we believe is going to satisfy. 
So maybe it's money, maybe it's success, maybe it's a, a new love, maybe it's attention from somebody, maybe it's your own pride, but you're just bringing in all these little things and just pouring all this water in. Maybe this will work, maybe this will work, maybe this will work. I'm so thirsty, something's got to work. And then they look down in this well and it all just dries up in this cracked ground. Nothing stays. And that's what happens in the life of Israel and that's what happens in our lives. It ends up dry and cracked, and the heavens are appalled. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. See the next level in the illustration over and over and over again in all of the prophets and in all of the Old Testament. And we see this idea of sacrifice. We see this idea of God saying, you know what, I know that you've stepped away. I know you've tried to satisfy yourself. It's not going to work. I'm going to pave a way back. And it's called sacrifice. And we talked a few months back about the Levitical system. And we talked about how in the Old Testament, God's plan was that the way people would be forgiven of their sins, if they came with a, a right heart, was to take a bull or to take a ram or to take a dove or to take some sort of animal and bring it to the temple. And there it would be sacrificed. And that did two things. Number one, remember that was a food source for all of the priests and many sacrifices for all of the people. You know, I think sometimes we look at the sacrificial system, we're like, they're so cruel. And you look at it and like, eh, well, there was a lot of blood and a lot of animals died. But in God's economy, that was also the way that they, uh, you know, provided barbecue for everybody. Right? Some of you are going to go to Chick-fil-A, not today, but every time you go to Chick-fil-A, it's like, well, there's a bunch of chickens that had to give their life so I can enjoy that. Same thing back then, you know, they didn't, they didn't waste it, that was part of it. But the point is, sacrifice also taught the people that blood had to be shed. There was going to be pain, there was going to be a giving of something, the people had to bring it. It cost them something because God is holy, and because of their sins, a price had to be paid. So we see this invitation to sacrifice, and you see that all throughout the Old Testament. There was a way back. And once that way back was made, and once those reparations were made, God forgave them, and you get the final step in the cycle, which is restoration. They were restored to the position that they were before. Now what's so cool about this cycle in these four different quadrants is that you see this over and over and over again. You hear Jeremiah uh, weeping and warning people about this very thing. Isaiah, all the other prophets, even the judges, I understand. Northwest kids, you guys have been talking about the cycle in Judges, right? So a lot of this is very familiar and very similar to what you're even learning about, which is an added awesome bonus that we didn't even know about until I was talking to Angie about, yeah, so I think here's where I'm going to land for Sunday. Oh my goodness, that's what we're learning about. So that's providential that God's led you guys here for this message but the point is this goes on over and over and over and over and over again and you can track that all the way back to Adam and Eve you see that same thing he had a relationship with God they were walking with God in the cool of the day they decided you know what thanks God for all this other fruit but I'm going to go over here I'm going to try my own thing I want to be wise you really are, are holding out on me I want to satisfy myself with something else and you see where sin entered into the picture. There was a sacrifice that was made. God had to kill an animal. The very first death that we see in Genesis, in, in the early parts of the story, an animal had to be killed so that they could cover up their shame. 
And that was the sacrifice. And then there was restoration again. And you see that over and over with all the patriarchs. The system was made and they continually go around and around and around and around. And even though this is kind of the external side of things, there's also with it an internal piece to it. And that's where we come in. We see this system in our own life. We see this cycle of sin or this cycle of love. And we see that externally represented all over. But there's something going on in our heart and soul. And there was something going on in their heart and soul that we want to dive into. What characterizes the inner being during each one of these with this first one? When you're in a relationship with God, there's a love that's there. Those four letters, that one word that encapsulates so much in a relationship with God when they were walking in the garden, even for us, our very beings, we are a recipient of that love. And for many of us here this morning, we've experienced that for the first time in a very real way. Maybe you remember when you were 6 or 8 or 16 or 30 and you finally came to grips with the fact that, you know what, I've been chasing all these worthless things and I'm not doing a whole lot for God at all and everything I've been trying to satisfy myself with is just kind of drying up. And God is there as the ever-flowing uh, stream, the never-failing stream of, of love and I want to come and I want to accept that and embrace that and have a relationship and your heart was flooded with love. Or maybe somewhere down the line you made a decision and the cycle continued and of course over and over and over again we participate in sin and what's going on in the heart, what's going on internally is this idea of guilt. This idea of a heaviness. This idea of a weightiness. This idea of a separation. And unfortunately, maybe some people are in this quadrant. I mentioned early on, everybody's choosing a category. Well, today, every single person that's sitting here is in one of these categories right here. And maybe for some of you, unfortunately, you're in this second one, and maybe you've been there for 10 or 20 or 30 years. Maybe there was a time that you had a relationship with God, or maybe not, but you know, you've been living your life the own own only way that you know how and just trying to you know fulfill all of your desires in a way apart from God and you're filled with this guilt and this separation from the one who created you but the good news here this morning the gospel news here this morning is that that's not the end of the story the sacrificial system that God set up in the Old Testament without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness. There is no freedom. Without that shedding of blood, that sacrifice, there's inside our heart for all of us. There is an invitation. There's an asking. There's a come back to me moment that God is speaking to us. No matter where you are and no matter what you walked in with here this morning. Book of Isaiah chapter 1 talks about God saying, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. But there's that invitation to return. And God is speaking that out over our hearts. Even here this morning. 
The book of Isaiah, chapter 61, speaks in an incredibly powerful way as to who Jesus is. This was written a good 600 years or more before Jesus was even born. In Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet Isaiah wrote down these words. And Jesus stood up in Nazareth in front of all of his people, his townspeople, his family, the people that saw him grow up. And he read the scroll, Isaiah 61, for the very first time, proclaiming that he is the one that is fulfilling this. And here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison for those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. He's saying, you know what? I'm inviting you into a new life. Many of you are bound up. Many of you are imprisoned. And I'm here. I'm the one. This is the day. I'm going to be the one to set you free. And I'm going to give you an incredible exchange. Here's what he says. I'm going to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that you may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified To go from this third quadrant over here where you're invited into something great and there was an incredible sacrifice that was made and God's invitation is there. If you step into that, to restoration, a big part of that internally of what's going on is fruitfulness. God desires to restore you. I love the imagery that he says there. Hey, you've got pain. You've got sorrow. Oh, I know you do. People of my hometown of Nazareth. Tyranny of Rome, brokenness in a system, tired of the sacrifices, tired of priests that run after false idols. I know that you're discouraged. I know that you're broken. I've got a solution. Bring your brokenness to me. Bring your ashes to me. Ashes represent absolute destruction in that culture. Ashes aren't worth anything. Bring them to me. And I will trade you beauty for that. Bring your mourning, bring your weeping, bring your wailing. I will trade you the oil of gladness for that. Bring to me your nothing. And I will give to you everything. And part of what happens in restoration is what God said and Jesus fulfilled right there. He said, you know what I'm going to call you? I'm going to call you oaks of righteousness not flailing little tiny saplings that get cracked and broken and 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 blown about by the wind and battered by every big wind that comes along and knocked over and kicked over by little kids because maybe that's the way you feel God says I'm going to call you an oak of righteousness 
an oak, something big, something powerful. Psalm chapter 1, you remember that one that says, you know, he will be like a stream planted by the waters. He will be like a tree planted by the waters with deep roots, with lots of nutrients. That's powerful. And it says he will produce his fruit in every season. And so when we've experienced that invitation, we've experienced that love of God, experienced that restoration, we're promised that we will be producing fruit. And maybe in your life right now, Northwest Community Church, people and visitors, maybe in your life right now, everything is going pretty good. Finances are looking good, family is behaving well, and they're all healthy, and you've got a job, and you're secure, and you like your house, and you know, everything's going all right, and your life's just a cup of sunshine, and you're just loving it. Well, there's fruit to be had in that. There's fruit to be given in that. There's giving to be given in that. There's sharing to happen in that bounty. But maybe part of it, and part of giving fruit in every season is that maybe you're in a dark, in a cold season right now. And the sun's not out in your world. And it's harsh, and it's winter, and it's difficult, and it's frustrating. There's fruit to be had in that as well. So I guess the reason that we talk about this, and just to kind of put a, a little bow on our entire Old Testament version of the Thread series, we just want to mention to you here this morning that this is the cycle of God's love. And there's a lot that goes into it, man. Maybe right now you're in a relationship with God and things are going good. And when you're singing out and you're singing holy, 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 and you're singing, you know, worthy is the lamb, and you're singing about praise the name of the risen Lord and praise his name forever for all my days, I will sing God's praise. And you're just, you're there, and you're connected, and you're loving it, and you're feeling it, and you've got that relationship with God. And that's awesome. We need a church full of those people. You're not perfect, you're falling, you're stumbling, you're tripping up. But for the most part, man, you're there. You love God, God loves you. You're embracing that love and you're giving back to him. And you're displaying your love to him. That's awesome for some. Maybe you're stuck in that second quadrant. Maybe there are those things that have crept into your life and they're weighing you down and they're separating you from God and you've chased after those worthless idols and you've poured out everything there is to pour out, drugs and alcohol and pornography and chasing after all these trappings in this world. And you're just so filled with guilt and you're just dry. And God wants to bring you right over there. He wants you to see the sacrifice. He wants to invite you back to that relationship. No matter if you've taken a thousand steps away from God, he's still just one step away. It seems impossible and it seems incredible and it doesn't make sense, but it's true. And God, through his love of Jesus Christ, sent him, even though he loved him, his only beloved, begotten son, sent him to the earth. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about before the foundations of the world, before any of this other stuff happened, God had this planned out. What pleasure he took in planning it, he says. In Ephesians chapter 1. What joy he took in saying, you know what? I'm going to display my love and my sacrifice once and all for, for people and invite them back. 
In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus wasn't just an unwilling pawn. It says Jesus didn't picture the equality with God, something to be held onto and clutched, but instead he chose to come to earth and humble himself and made himself a servant to be an example for us, to die for us, to give you brand new life. So maybe you need to take that step and accept that invitation and be restored and become worth something again. Not that you were worth less, but become useful again in the hands of the master. When you talk about the love of God, it's the most incredible, profound concept that has ever come across the span of this universe. And I just want us to dwell on that for a moment. In closing, I want to share perhaps one of the most incredible written poems that I've ever come across that displays such beauty in literature and such poetic splendor and such concrete imagery about the love of God. It's a hymn by that name. Here's some of the lyrics. It says, oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Now listen to this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Think about that. Think about the North Carolina coast. Think about the ocean. If we could ink with the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made and were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky to experience this love of God this morning culmination don't have to make yourself worthy. God has already said, come to me. I'll make you worthy. All we have to do is respond. There's decisions at every single level. And I don't know where that lands on you today, but I hope and I pray that this love of God would transform your life. And that we would be a church that just live and dwell in those upper two quadrants. We're restored. We've got fruit. We're loving life. We're sharing with others. we got a relationship. And for those like the nation of Israel and like so many of us in our lives, sometimes even on a daily basis, we're stuck in that sin and we're stuck in pondering the sacrifice and what to do down here in this area, in the darkness, that we would accept that invitation and that forgiveness and that great love of God and be restored. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these stories that were written thousands of years ago. People that dwelled thousands of years ago, yet we see the same characteristics in ourselves. And so Lord, we just pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would use this concept and these thoughts and these cycles to help people understand where they are 
and where they need to be. And God, for us as your pastors and your leaders in your church, let us help each other see the light and the truth and to be restored to you, God. We love you. We love you, God. Thank you for your love. In your son's name we pray.